Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about inventory and inflation, and most importantly, whether the Fed is about to pivot. First, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking to Desmond Smith, Chief Growth Officer at UWM, about SafeCheck. Desmond, how does SafeCheck work? Hey, Sarah, how are you? So I would say first, you know, SafeCheck is allowing uh, LOs to give their bar peace of mind. So let's start there. You know, trigger leads have become a very large issue, not just in the mortgage space, but in any time someone's getting any type of credit. So we created SafeCheck to help prevent kind of that um, aggravation and nuance of receiving, you know, tens, twenties, hundreds of calls that consumers receive. So what happens with SafeCheck is any LO who uses UWM, it's an exclusive product SafeCheck is to UWM, they would be able to either pull a single or tri-merge soft pool credit report. And while that credit report is being used to run AUS, they will have time to opt their consumer out of any solicitations and then therefore they will not receive all of those annoying calls and annoying solicitations. And that is also a big benefit because the, the cost of the credit bureau is much cheaper by leveraging SafeCheck. So it really is a win um, for LOs and it's obviously a win for consumers so they don't receive so many phone calls um, offering all different types of products and services. I can see how that could be a game changer. Thank you, Desmond. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here from the Four Seasons in Anguilla. I know. You've been taunting us all week on your social media and also on our internal Slack channel with these amazing views. So thank you for coming to us even on your uh, vacation. Thanks for joining the podcast and giving us your insight. I appreciate it. So let's first start out. We have a lot to talk about. Let's talk about the tracker this week. And boy, inventory, it just, it was really, really low. You know, the active listings was less than uh, 3,000. Now, inventory is very seasonal, um, but we're not quite yet there for the active listings to start declining. But you know, I had hoped for just a few weeks of eleven to 17,000 uh, weekly active listings. Uh, as mortgage rates are higher, things will, you know, uh, slow down and you could get more listings growth through that. Hasn't happened. Not at all. Com- I mean, if you want to look at the history of economics, what happened last year to this year is so different. And, you know, the theme of ours back in May when I went on CBC is that it, it really does look like a slow zombie uh, in 2023. And, uh, you know, new listings data is now going to its traditional seasonal decline period happens every year in about a few weeks, most likely active listings will start its process unless something happens. Uh, so again, we, we have more active listings this year than in 2021, 
the year-over-year data is negative from 2022 at this period. And we just have to remember, last year was so abnormal. We had the biggest home sale crash ever. We had the biggest mortgage rate spike ever. We worked from the lowest inventory levels ever. So not normal. So let's take the year-over-year negative data with some context. But yeah, just a very, very slow year, uh, slow spring and summer active listings year. You and I were talking um, when I was editing that article because um, it can be confusing to me and and maybe to our listeners, active listings, active listings, new listings. I mean, obviously those things, new listings influence active listings. So when you say new listings are going in, into a seasonal decline, that also means that you're, just all of your inventory declines in the, in the fall, correct? Traditionally, what happens is new listings starts to grow uh, uh, in the spring and summer, and then it becomes less. Uh, in the uh, fall and winter. Uh, Active inventory grows in the spring and summer, uh, and then it starts its seasonal decline in the fall and and winter. The difference between active listings and new listings is that new listings are the homes that are just coming onto the market per week. Uh, This is why I always like to highlight the actual number. I'm not a big fan of using percentages uh, on inventory because it could look pretty wild on a percentage basis. This is why I, I tend to stay away from that always. But I want to give people the raw numbers uh, in the tracker article. And then the active listings at the end of the week, these are the homes that are available for sale That's that are not impending or any kind of contract state. These, this is the raw number where let's say the NAR, uh, we're at like 488,000. The NAR has a little bit above a million. They take all the listings, all the pennings, everything put together. So we just want to give you the raw number, what is available at the end of the week. Uh, so you could have a better perspective of, 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 of the homes available for sale. So the new listings every week, people list their homes. They have low mortgage rates and they still list their homes to buy another one with higher mortgage rates. So uh, it's just that the last 12 months has been trending at the lowest levels ever recorded in U.S. history. And considering that 2021 and 2022 were extremely low levels. And I think one of the things I've tried to uh, point across is that new listings in those two years is actually lower than any period from 2015 to 2019. So this is a post-COVID phenomenon. We took to another level and then we broke it to another new level starting from last year. So the one good aspect, though, is that new listings data has not taken another new leg lower. Like it did last year. We last year we saw a noticeable year-over-year decline during a seasonal decline period. Here it looks like it's very orderly, and uh, uh, we should have some flat to negative or flat to positive year-over-year data uh, in the upcoming months. And that that's a good point because there's just I mean when when you're working from the lowest levels ever recorded history, what you don't want to see is what we saw last year another leg lower. This year we haven't seen another leg lower. It's just very orderly. That's what we want. So I'm crossing fingers that that continues for the rest of the year. Love that. So on the tracker, you look at purchase apps, you look at inventory, and you look at uh, the 10-year yield and mortgage rates. And you always say, hey, this is what to look out for ahead. And we know this week, huge week for the inflation data. So give us a preview. We are recording this on Wednesday. It'll go live on Thursday, and there'll be some of that inflation data out already. Yeah. So... For this report, there is downside risk to core inflation coming in lower than anticipated just because used cars prices have been falling a little bit more and then the rent inflation kicks in. But I think going out for the next few months, we have to start getting people prepared that the headline inflation data, which moves on energy prices, that had a 
really big dive from 9% down to 3%. It can go up again just because of the uh, um, energy prices aren't falling anymore, the comps aren't there. So a lot of people might focus on the headline, but it's core inflation. Core inflation X shelter is what the Fed really cares about. And I kind of uh, laughed. I looked at the inflation data. Like most of the recreational inflation and services are coming from pets, right? Pet inflation has gone uh, uh, crazy. And I I know this because, you know, I have two cats, a tortoise and a goldfish. And I, while on vacation, you have to pay for uh, uh, somebody to take a look care of them. And yeah, that, that inflation area has really, really picked up uh, now that everyone's traveling again. But but tomorrow, when this comes, when this podcast comes out, look, you want to take a look at where car inflation is doing and rent inflation. And if there is a downside to core inflation, it comes in lower than anticipated. Most likely, it's going to be those two things. Uh, but over the next few months, just remember, headline inflation can go back up, can come back down. We don't have the Russian invasion, oil spike, or wheat prices again anymore on the year-over-year data. So the comps are going to be uh, much more difficult to have uh, headline inflation go lower in, in a meaningful way over the next few months. Okay, let's talk about the Fed, right? Uh, we have had some interesting Fed um, conversations that they've put out and lots of interesting analysis. So where do you think they're headed right now? So we've always said good cop, bad cop Fed. Um, some of the Feds are saying more hikes, more hikes, more hikes. You know, for the first time, some of the Fed members are saying, maybe we're done. We don't need to uh, hike rates anymore. And I think for me, what, one of the things that I'm trying to explain to people is that the Fed looks at real yields, if they're being uh, restrictive or not. That's basically where inflation is and where the 10-year yield is at. So real yields are very high. Why? Because the growth rate of inflation has been falling and the 10-year yield is very high. So they see that as restrictive. Uh, the uh, Fed Williams from the New York Fed talked about, if we follow our own model, we'll be cutting rates next year if the growth rate of inflation falls. So that was the first time you've heard cuts uh, in, a, in a model, in a presentation where their model actually says, okay, we are very restrictive right now. And if inflation keeps on falling, core inflation, service inflation X shelter, then we're going to have to start cutting rates uh, uh, just to so we are not as restrictive as possible. So we're we're at that stage now where we've gotten most of the rate hikes in, and they're trying to lay the foundation. The, the good the good Feds members there's going to be bad Fed members who are talking about more hikes, more hikes. But uh, you get a framework of what to look for uh, in 2024. This is why I've always said that even though the ten year yield has not responded or mortgage rates have not responded to. Uh, headline inflation or inflation falling, it is very critical that the growth rate of inflation fell uh, uh, and that will fall. Core, we're about to do a disinflationary core. Uh, the growth rate is going to start to slow down even more and more over the next six to nine months. That's really important because the core number is what they focus on. So you have not been a, a Fed pivot person from an inflation standpoint. You really have felt like what's going to move the needle is the labor. So how how does this inflation data, does that change at all for you? You know, one of the things I've said early on is that when or if labor breaks, they will fold. And clearly, they will fold if it if it breaks above or the jobless claims number starts to get above 323,000. We'll have that number again uh, when this podcast comes out. 
But they're also starting to talk about a restrictive level. When we talk about rate cuts, it's not like they're going to bring rates down to zero again. Uh, they're going to start to talk about where they feel they want the Fed funds rate to be for a long time. If the labor market breaks, it's an entire different conversation. So uh, we're not there yet. Uh, that's why I've had that 323,000 four-week moving average on jobless claims. But for right now, you start to get the groundworks of what happens if we do have a soft landing and uh, where the Fed does not like uh, uh, bond yields to go. This is kind of the joke I said last week is that real yields got real to the Fed and they started coming out and going, hey, 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 listen, we're very restrictive, you know, you know, so... Uh, just from the body language and the, and the talking points, it looks like they were not happy that the 10-year yield was rising. Now, it didn't break above four and a quarter, uh, but uh, it got some Fed people talking. So you, you get an idea of what, what they want. And, you know, the stock market has been rallying. You don't see them making comments about that anymore. Or, you know, uh, it, they're not so, you know, Oh, too many people are spending. We, you know, we have you have some bad confidence, but they're starting to move to another direction. I think that's that's a key thing for 2024. They're starting to lay the groundworks uh, of what they what they want to see happen for next year. You know, that would be such welcome news for the mortgage industry if we were looking at cuts next year from them and and just in general. If that mortgage rate could come down a little bit, that would be amazing. Uh, you know, one thing that should happen. Uh, if this is the case, the spreads in the mortgage rates have been getting slightly better. Not great, but slightly better. Um, so if people, you know, were anticipating 8% mortgage rates with a 10-year yield, you know, the spreads have been getting better and we haven't broken above four and a quarter. We've talked about this in other podcasts. Can we get to 8% rates? Well, you break above four and a quarter, the spreads are bad. If the Fed cries uncle and says, we'll start cutting rates Everyone needs to be uh, mindful of the spreads because the spreads falling by itself doesn't mean you don't even need the 10 year yield to do any of the work can bring mortgage rates down uh, to the low sixes, which will be beneficial for everyone at this point. And uh, um, I think the, the the Fed is also, you know, regarding housing, starting to realize that, you know, higher mortgage rates aren't giving them the inventory <laughs> that they thought or home prices aren't falling. What has occurred is your total payment has gone up a lot year over year. Why? Because prices aren't falling. Five of the home price indexes are at all-time highs and mortgage rates are high. So we're stuck. The whole, you know, we, we, we've done this post-COVID for a long time. And the, the biggest concern for me wasn't this 60 or 70% home price crash or anything like that. It's getting stuck. Too many people chasing too few homes. Inflation goes up, home prices and, and payments. Now the mortgage rates up, you know, the affordability gets hit and hit and we're in a post-2010 world where it matters. Affordability does matter because everyone has to qualify for a mortgage first before you even attempt to sell your house to buy another one or even buy a house. So these things matter and it explains why purchase application data is uh, basically at 21st century lows right now. So interesting. I was in Las Vegas on Monday and Tuesday for the uh, Valuation Expo. And I'm in the in the taxi. Um, the taxi driver is talking to his brother and, you know, he's making small talk with me while he's also talking to his brother. And, and I tell him, you know, what I'm in, in, in town for. And he perks up and he's like, okay, home prices, are they going up or down? My brother right now, he's on the phone. He wants to buy a house. Should he buy a house? I don't know. Should he buy a house? I was like, okay, well, first of all, 
I am not, I cannot give your brother uh, advice on whether to buy a house. He said, he said, we, I had somebody in the, um, in the taxi yesterday and they, uh, they're real estate guys. And they said, home prices are about to crash. We should just wait because they're going to come way down. All the, all the prices are going to crash and we're going to see this huge thing. And I was like, okay, well, I, I cannot tell you whether you should buy a home, but I can tell you that a price crash of like 60% or whatever they were telling me, I was like, that's not going to happen. I said, Here, here's why. And it was just crazy to me. Sarah, I've had the same answer. When somebody asks me, should they buy a house? I'm, I, I'm going to stay stick with this for the rest of my life. No, you shouldn't. Because if you have to ask another adult, if you have to buy a house, you are not ready. You're not a child. You're not a call. You know, so people are worried about prices. Housing is a cost of shelter. It's a payment. So no, you shouldn't. Think about the mental stress. If you're worried about prices crashing and then you buy the house and you see something happens, don't do that to yourself right? Uh, housing is a cost of shelter. What's happening right now is that, you know, I, I've had this discussion here uh, in Anguilla uh, uh, with somebody asking, and I said that when you look at uh, America, because uh, uh, there's a, a, a British couple here, and they're like, oh, you know, their payments are going up. They have short-term rates. I said, our 30-year mortgage is Captain America's shield, right? That's the shield. Inflation is coming, doesn't matter. You know, the shield's up. The Federal Reserve's hiking rates doesn't matter, right? We have this 30-year fixed payment and people are doing good. So there's no stress here in America, right? The YouTubers, the TikTokers, the middle-aged men, stock traders in America on Twitter, they're all like, oh, things are going to crash, things are going to crash. There is a proper way to talk about home prices crashing and 99.9% of the people in this country can't do it, right? Because they don't track housing data. So... Um, home prices crashing need a, needs a lot of things to happen and we'll take it one step at a time. But if somebody's is, is in a panic or talking to the brothers or anything, should I buy a house? You're not ready, man. You are seriously not ready to play ball or buy a house. Cause when people buy a house, they're buying shelter, the shelter costs, fixed debt costs, rising wages. If you're an investor and all that stuff, you know, Hey, the risk is on you. We call that capitalism. If it fails, you took the risk, you lost. But here, most people shelter costs. That's what it is. So I think there's there's a different there's a divergence in this whole discussion because for 12 years, people should I buy a house? Home prices are going to crash, and here we are, the 12th year of the housing bubble crash theory that hasn't worked. The broken clock theory is now secured. Um, there's a way to talk about this, and this is not taxi driver material or. You know, sitting here in, in Anguilla. <laughs> we are having a debate on this very topic between you and Chief Economic Strategist for Golden Coast Consultants, Gregory Crennan, which I'm really excited about. I'm going to moderate it, and it's going to be August 31st at 1 p.m. Central. It's like a, a you can sign up like a webinar. Um, but this is going to be a really interesting discussion because he is a uh, chief economic strategist. You are our uh, lead analyst. You have very different views on this, and he's been great to work with. I'm really looking forward to this. We can tackle head on where are home par- prices going. Yes, and you know we had uh, one gentleman last year who was brave enough, who I very admire, uh, talk about you know housing bubble crashes. Of course, none of the things he talked about came true, but. What we like to do with talking about home price crashes, we want to hear the case and the model, and then we want to respond with our own. 
And then we take the history of home prices uh, and, and what does it take to uh, uh, crash home prices, something that I've written many times over the years. It takes a certain, uh, certain type of uh, economic distress, uh, rates have to stay high, distress, there's all these things that have to happen. Uh, and every year things changes, right? Home prices went up over 40%. Uh, uh, post-COVID, uh, and affordability matters. Uh, we had the biggest uh, mortgage rate increase ever. We we saw what it did to pricing on a month-to-month basis. But again, 2022, home prices were up. Five of the national indexes are are at all-time highs. And I've always tried to stress, if, you, if you're confused about why home prices are at all-time highs, we did that podcast, which is a very popular podcast, where I explain piece by piece what happened last year? What's happening this year? And this way, everyone can have their own opinion. But we present an economic model for everyone instead of just doing home prices are going to crash. Yeah, that's been a very effective marketing grift for 12 years. And I'm loving this year because after this, the broken clock theory is over. Uh, the worst talented men and women in our History and talk about home prices. These YouTubers again—that's all of them. All I remember every single one of them, and they were all nonsense. None of them made any sense. It was entertaining as heck, though. Uh, but they—they really either they're faking, they're really good fakers, or they really believe they're nonsense. Either two is not a good thing. But here we're going to have a debate, a conversation, just like we did last year. It was a very good conversation. If anybody doesn't uh, uh, remember or, or wants to watch that, we had a very good detailed of what should happen from each side. We'll do it again on August 31st, which is my birthday, and I can't wait. Great birthday present for all of us. It'll be fun. Um, we're also, you and I are going to do a live podcast um, at our Housing Wire Annual, October 12th. Um, you're going to give a keynote address on the 10th, but on the 12th, we're going to close out the conference with a live podcast. We're going to invite people up from the audience. We are going to have such a good time, and we're going to talk about the mortgage rate lockdown. We are finally going to get to it, Logan Motoshami and I. People are like, oh, no, you know, are, are you going to be okay going up against Logan, or I'm Team Sarah, Team Logan? Listen, you can be Team Sarah, and no, I'm going to come out fighting for you because a lot of us feel like the mortgage rate lockdown makes sense, and we're going to have the opportunity to go head-to-head on it and also invite up the audience, so people need to be there for that. Also, our pricing for for Housing Wire Annual, it goes up. It's a tiered pricing, so it's going to go up again at the end of this month. Don't wait. Come join us. Sarah, they always say the brave are the first to die, and uh, <laughs> that will uh, occur you know, and I'm glad it will be uh, a podcast that everyone can see. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. It's going to be fun. Last thing I wanted to ask you about is I've definitely heard a lot more over the weekend. And then uh, this week we're having a lot of um, earnings calls. We're seeing what's happening and there is a lot of talk about uh, more bank failures and more stress in the, in the banking system. What have you heard about that? So the, the banking system has still stayed solvent. Um, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, we, we've seen in the data recently, the the companies that have their bank uh, stock prices collapse or now it's based, some of them have gone under, uh, they lend less. Shocking, right? Um, so we don't have a banking crisis like we saw in 2008 to 10, where all these banks were going to go under. I think the concern that some people have going out in the future is that banks are sitting on a lot of losses. If they have to occur those losses for some reason, uh, 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 the credit markets can get stressed more and more. But 
with the capital cushions that a lot of these big banks have now, uh, we, we don't see it in the data. Now, credit is going to get tighter, especially from the regional banks uh, in their local economies. Um, but in general, there's no more headlines, right? Uh, even as the as Moody's downgraded the banking sector, uh, it's just not the same anymore. So there has to be another shoe to fall or something to that nature to create more stress in the lending uh, facility. But, you know, the economy's firm. You know, GDP is going to be positive again. The labor market is still firm. People are still consuming. But you're definitely going to see uh, credit tightening with certain banks. You know, certain banks have gone under. The mergers have happened. Uh, and we'll see that happen in the marketplace when it does occur. But as of right now, things are calm, right? So is it the calm before the storm? Time will tell on that. But for right now, even with the Moody's downgrade, uh, the banking system is still solvent in that sense. Uh, uh, the other shoe hasn't fallen yet. Uh, credit is getting tighter for certain parts of the economy, but in, in other cases, it's still flowing. I would love to point our listeners, we've had a two-part series on uh, the jumbo space and kind of like the jumbo space is up for grabs uh, because there have been these effects on uh you know, who's who's willing to do jumbo loans now that there's the stress in the system. Uh, great reporting by Flavia Ferlan Nunez. So I would say if you have any questions about that, got some great things on housing wire going. And of course, we'll look forward to your uh, writing tomorrow, Logan, on the uh, inflation stuff. Yes, CPI inflation. Always a fun day for me. But I get to do it with a very wonderful view this time. <laughs> yes, taunting till the end. Okay, Logan, thanks so much for being on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.